Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood, and Robert Paul Johnson is my hetero life mate and co-host, and we are The Last Nighters. You can find us at lastnighters.com and also on the Liberty Movement's YouTube channel. And this is episode 188 of The Last Nighters. You can find the show notes more at lastnighters.com slash 188. And if you are one of our lucky Patreon supporters, you can be watching this live while the sausage is being made. And uh, we're going to be talking about Womp Point Break tonight, the 1991 classic, not, of course, the terrible, terrible remake. And we're going to be talking about it with the voice of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita of Peddling Fiction, who was on with us for Cinco de Mayo, doing a review of Desperado. But tonight, it's one of his favorite movies of all time. It is Point Break. Welcome back to the show, Johnny. Why don't you just remind everyone what you do at your show, where they can find it, and what makes this your favorite movie? All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on again, man. This is one of my all-time favorites. Um, I, I do the Peddling Fiction podcast. It is a libertarian-minded podcast. I talk about politics, current events, and economics from a libertarian ANCAP point of view. I am an ANCAP my, myself, but I try to keep it a little on the lighter side. Um, you know, I, I don't like to get bogged down in the, the minutia of libertarian theory. I like to talk about current events and, and sort of apply the theories to that in a more palatable way to try to make our message... Um, I guess easier to understand for the for the uh, average statist. And man, I, I don't know where to begin with why I love this movie so much. Um, a lot of it might have to do with the fact that I am down here in Mexico surfing a lot. But I mean, you got you got pre motorcycle accident Gary Busey. You got a young Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves. The the only problem I have with this is the uh, I don't know what that brunette's name is, but. They, they could have done uh, Lori, a better job. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful eyes, but uh, uh, yeah, she's got like that lesbian 90s haircut and just like a little too spindly for me. But yeah, you got surfing. I, I love the juxtaposition of sort of like the ultimate expression of freedom, which is like surfing and the beach and everything like that. And then you have like the long arm of the law, like the FBI chasing down people. And it's just a great like freedom versus the state sort of um dichotomy right and, and even in the opening title there's like that collision of point and break and then keanu reeves patrick swayze's names going across like that and it's and got the 100%. <laughs> yeah it's got the interplay between um you know Bodie out there surfing the waves man hanging tan and shit and then it's got keanu reeves being a straight laced jocko you know fbi training guy yeah I can't see anything through my glasses, by the way. I, I need new um, lenses. I completely trash these things with, I guess, I guess you're supposed to wipe them down after they get wet and with like salt water and stuff. Sounds pretty yeah. extreme, bro. Is that the fan? <laughs> it's the surf. It's the surf. We're adding ambient sounds here. It's, it's the sound of the waves and the anyway. air, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, how we normally open this up is with the uh, the old Google description. So I'm going to bring that up on main screen now. And Robert, what are we talking about? Well, point, break. point break. That's right. Okay, so I got to make this just a little bit bigger. You guys tell me when it's uh, big enough. Is that no, not I'll, quite? Uh, still too small. Can you can you see it? Still still really, really small, man. You oh, just, okay. oof. All right, there and we go. So, so small. So that. small. All right, Point Break, 1991, rated R action slash crime movie, two hours and three minutes, directed by Catherine Bigelow. 
Got a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb, 70% Rotten Tomatoes, and 58% on Metacritic. However, 90% of Google users like it, and I think uh, about 100% of the reviewers on this year's show are going to like it. The description reads, after a string of bizarre bank robberies in Southern California with the crooks donning masks of various former presidents, a federal agent, Johnny Utah, played by Keanu Reeves, infiltrates the suspected gang. But this is no ordinary group of robbers. They're surfers, led by the charismatic Bodie, played by Patrick Swayze, who are addicted to the rush of thievery. But when Utah falls in love with a female surfer, Tyler, played by Lori Petty, who is close to the gang, it complicates his sense of duty. Release date, July 12, 1991, uh, directed Catherine Bigelow, as we were saying. I think it had a budget of about $24 million and made $83.5 million uh, at the box office. Robert, let's go to you for your opening on this Keanu Reeves, Patrick Swayze, Gary Busey classic. Mm, it's totally extreme, totally radical, bro. It is uh, a throwback to, it just reminds me of the 90s where everything was extreme and radical and intense and... You had comic books where everybody had like a thousand guns and like bullet packs all over their bodies. And that was like their uniform or their superhero outfit. And all the movies were just stunt after stunt, just cranking it up. Although this movie really doesn't have a whole ton of action and stunts. It does towards the end. And it does have them in fits and starts. But a lot of it, and I love playing the villain here with you guys. I just mm, savor this moment. <laughs> Where I didn't really like this movie a whole lot. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was like, oh, are you in disbelief? Oh, you're shaking your little heads. Oh no, uh, yeah, bring it. So this movie is like, like you less than when you first signed on. But yeah, that's right. Even worse. Oh man, you're gonna hate me so much. I love it. This movie plays like Lethal Weapon's kid brother. If you replace. <laughs> You replace the two leads, Busey and Reeves, with fucking Tubbs and whatever his name is. Crockett. And Crockett and Tubbs. You get a the same movie, but you replace the the love interest with a slightly older, like more attractive love interest. And you get the you can just have this like it's like the same thing. It's it's a, it almost ends like a Mission Impossible movie where it's just like stunt after stunt and crazy wildness towards the end, which really it benefits from. But the middle of the movie, the movie, since you have this like fish out of water story with uh, Keanu Reeves being the straight laced football player from Iowa coming to the California coast and he's got to turn into a surfer boy. And then you got to have him develop this relationship with Bodie and his gang. It really, there's a lot of time spent just, surfing where it barely moves the plot forward and it's just kind of developing these relationships a little bit so that we can have an emotional payoff at the end which i understand why it's there don't get me wrong it works narratively i understand it, it makes it for a better movie but those scenes dragged really hard for me it was really hard for me to keep my interest in these really long slow parts and then it also there's this one bit where you had the main characters like collecting hair off of other surfers <laughs> and it played like a like a 1980s uh i don't even know what like made for tv movie or uh, a episode of a tv show like of the a-team or something like they were going to do some wacky shenanigans to get some science going on 
And it was just so out of place and weird. But I mean, you roll with it because it's point break and who cares? But science. it was just. Oh, you gotta trust the science. <laughs> you gotta trust science. I mean, I understand. You gotta trust the science. We're gonna find out where these surfers surf based on their the, what's in their hair, the, the the chemicals in their hair. Sure, okay, whatever. Wild, but isn't it? Uh, hey, hey, hey! I'm still talking here. I'm talking here. Um, Reeves is atrocious. He is astoundingly bad. He's like so impressively bad. They could have pulled anybody off the street and read his lines better than he delivers them. This is like peak Bill and Ted, whoa, bro, uh, Johnny Mnemonic, just as charismatic as a wooden brick, Keanu Reeves. I don't understand his appeal. I don't know how the guy has a career. Later on when he does Neo in the Matrix, it works because he's like this wooden, everyman, weird guy. But in a movie where he actually has to emote and show him, you know, like express love and anger and hatred and excitement. It's like you could have gotten anybody would have been way better. But, you know, it, it, it makes for uh, a curious like like if you go back in movie history and you see all these weird like oddities, like Point Break kind of stands out as this kind of curiosity, like with all the weird choices they made to come together in this kind of good movie. The, the ex-presidents are kind of dynamic and interesting, and Swayze plays, of course, always good. Excellent, Daniel. And uh, But I just wish that the, uh, the lead was more charismatic, because um, the plot's actually pretty decent, especially towards the end. The, the third act is, is uh, quite, a, quite of a, a, a bomb ripper of a tube or something. 100% I don't pure adrenaline. That's right. It's 100% pure adrenaline. But anyway, uh, I've just been kind of rambling. It's it's not the worst movie in the world. It's I it's not my favorite movie ever, but it's it, well, it is what it is, and we'll get to it. Anyway, that's what I got to say. Wow. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna duke it out on this one. I think tonight we're gonna be fighting in the surf. Uh, Bring it on on the beach in Australia right before the fifty year storms, man. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you can you can explain to me why why you think Keanu Reeves is a really good actor. I would love to hear it. Well, so this is one of those roles where I think he doesn't actually have to be good in order for it what? to be a good movie because he plays the opposite of the yin and yang of the Patrick Swayze character, the Bodhi, who's just so fucking laid back, philosophical and cool that there's a nice, strong contrast between them. And you do have an arc where he starts off as this straight-laced Jocko guy who then, through the course of the film starts to find the relationship and the philosophy and the adrenaline and all those things impact him and change him as he's maturing into the person that he is by the end of the film, where he's so fed up with the law and order side of things where he throws his badge into the, uh, into the drink, dirty Harry style. So he has this evolution of his character. Evolution of the character, so he can be played by a block of wood as long as he's got this evolution of the character. I understand. Well, what about the? Did you, you buy the, the romance? Did you buy the romance at all? The romance felt a little rushed, but I think that another part of this is that the course of time that's played throughout the movie isn't quite clear. I think it's, it's like the, two months or something. Yeah, last, I mean, like but, but July it, and August. <laughs> but it almost plays like it could have been like over the course of like just a few days. Yeah. And. I, th I think that the longer that they kind of played out and they only leave a few subtle hints when he's talking to McGinley, he's like, 
you've been working X number of weeks on this case. What do you got to show for yourself? Diddly squat, you know? That's kind of one of the only things that really tells us how much time has been invested into getting undercover, getting good at surfing, getting ingratiated with these people, getting into those relationships and developing that relationship with Tyler. Yeah, that um, kind of played a little bit weird. Like every time I've ever heard of anybody going undercover, sometimes these cops will spend years undercover. Yeah, like developing the Tom their characters. The DEA yeah. agent guy who um, <laughs> the other surfer gang who are like dealing meth. He was he was uh, that was Tom Sizemore, un uncredited. He was the um, what's that? It, he was under for three months or six months or. Yeah, it, it was quite a while. And and then, of course, the FBI comes and raids the place and, and uh, ruins that. But I was actually kind of OK with that because, you know, drug wars are uh, fucking bullshit anyway. Yeah, but Anthony Keyes was kind of a dick. I mean, they just like beat up Bill and Ted for like no reason. Well, I don't know how this is in real life when you're out surfing, Johnny, but it seemed to me that at least in the film, they try to present it to where you got Neo out there fucking up, getting onto the waves and he's cutting in front of these guys without realizing it. Yeah. So, so that, that's actually, this is based off of that point break was based off of this place. I think it was like in, or, like off the coast of Oregon, uh, like Portland, Oregon. And um, yeah, the surfers get real territorial about that shit over there. But yeah, that um, it, it's not like that here, uh, at least not where I surf, because I'm doing these little like uh, ankle breaker waves. Um, it, it takes a long time to get good at surfing, even if you're like a, you know, very athletic physical specimen such as myself. Um, but yeah, no, the, the surfers over there were like notorious for getting like really pissed if you took their wave and you got in their way. Because it's, you know, it's the ultimate ride and they've been waiting for that one wave all day long or something like that. But that that seems sort of like a West Coast, California, maybe yeah, Oregon thing. Uh, down in Mexico, everybody's a lot nicer. <laughs> Just like all around, everybody's a lot like cooler. And um, yeah, I've had people, you know, the, the most dangerous thing is like when somebody's like surfboard comes like crashing at you or something. I've seen people get their you know, their teeth knocked out and their, their jaw fucking banged up and stuff. So you got to be careful. But around here, it's not like that. But yeah, that was based off of a true um, point break somewhere. But it wasn't in California. It was up the coast a little bit in Oregon, from my understanding. Okay, I know they shot that last scene that's supposed to be in Australia. Um, at least the beach scene where they're fighting, that was in Cannon Beach, Oregon. That wasn't Bell's Beach? I know, right? Yeah. And, uh, and we're liars. Going, we're going to Cannon Beach in a, in a month or two, and associated with that, we're going to be doing the Goonies. So that'll be at the end of September. We're going to do a review of Goonies because that's where that was shot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, oh, wait, that was a. Uh, what, what's the name of that town again? Cannon Beach. Oh, okay. What was I thinking of? Oh, I was thinking of uh, where my sister used to work over there. Anyway, go on. Anyway, I, w <laughs> I will go on. So anyway, yeah, it, it seemed as if at least the Keanu Reeves stood out like a sore thumb as a, an inexperienced surfer guy who was on their turf and taking their waves and getting into positions to where it was making it dangerous for them. Plus, these guys are in a gang doing drug dealing shit. Granted, it shouldn't be illegal, but they are probably, you know, 
not not exactly the nicest guys. So I can I could totally buy them beating the shit out of Neo at the at the beach when he's trying to take a shower. Yeah, back off, War Child. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'll be right back. Just give me a second. You guys talk amongst yourselves. All right, Robert. Yeah, Daniel. So so you're kind of like playing Mr. Excuses for uh, Peppers beating up Neo. You you think it's totally cool? I'm not saying that it's like a good thing to uh, attack somebody, especially three or four on one, but I am saying that I could see guys who are in a gang like that who are good surfers and territorial and then having some rookie go in and like fuck up their wave, causing a dangerous situation, getting pissed at him and thinking that they need to go kick his ass. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I suppose. I don't know. I, I, I don't know the culture. This is all... Uh, and obviously it's all fictional of course but i don't know every time it's not a true story every time that i've tried to do some like totally extreme radical thing bro radically like, extreme, the, dude. the the more experienced people are like cool right on bro they were more the bodhi style they were more like cool man it's nice to see another person out here doing stuff but i guess if you're like territorial about waves like you got dibs on a wave Maybe, maybe that's different. All right. Yeah. Or, or like the, the first time Keanu goes surfing and uh, what, what's her name? Lori just starts like freaking out at him. You got no business being out here whatsoever. Get the fuck out of here, dumbass. Okay. Shut, yeah. <laughs> Calm down. Calm yeah. down. <laughs> but he was putting himself in a situation where he was clearly not experienced enough to be in like heavier waves and things like that. So yeah. I, I, I found it believable. And, um, granted, I am talking about my ass a little bit, but uh, Johnny, I sent you a note about um, this HBO special called Hundred Foot Wave. And it's like yes. a multi episodic like thing that's being released. And I think the first two or three are out so far. I've only watched the first episode, and it's this guy. He's a big wave surfer, and I, I don't know if he was um, actually the guy who did the last surf scene in this, where Bodhi goes out for one last time. Um, it, it seemed like a familiar name. But uh, he's going around searching for this 100-foot wave that's off the coast of Portugal. And the amount of work and effort that's going into like preparing for this is incredible. It's like a couple of years of him and a team like studying it and getting trained up to get on um, jet skis to get out there and to perform rescues. And, uh, you know, one wrong move and like the, the amount of uh, pressure from the waves of that size if, if you fuck up, I mean, you're, you're just going to die, even if you don't hit the rocks. And there's tons of rocks out there, too. So it's yeah. pretty amazing. I, I could, yeah, I could not imagine being out there. And any, like um, I, I go around here, you know, uh, a buddy of mine has some jet skis and there was like a hurricane like way down the coast of Mexico. And like three days later, it sent like 15 foot swells our way. And so at like one point I'm riding along on this jet ski and I look over and my friend is like, 20 feet higher than me and i'm like oh but these are like rolling like slowly rolling things they're not like you know curling and gonna crush you i couldn't even imagine being out on a jet ski in, in that wave that's behind your head right now like that'd be horrifying um so yeah the, the fact that these guys go out there it was just like that <laughs> when they're on the beach just paddling out in a big surf is a commitment man can't just right. call time out <laughs> Go back in there. <laughs> yeah, th those guys, those guys were not exactly great actors. 
I I found Keanu Reeves like more um, serviceable in his role, but the rest of the gang, not so much. Not yeah, so much. I mean, they, no, there was like they, one good actor in this movie. It was Patrick Swayze. That was it. And Gary Busey, come on, pop. Yeah, no. Yes. Oh, even the Scrubs doctor guy was all right, but just because he was like typical angry boss guy. Yeah. Well, McGinley's like the same fucking guy and everything. Yeah. yeah. Except when he's the Bob from uh, Office Space. Yeah. But I, I don't know if anybody could pull off the Gary, Bus- B- Gary Busey uh, t-shirt wardrobe. <laughs> like he did. <laughs> Great shirts in that movie, man. Every every scene, I'm like, oh, I want that. I want I want to be like that old fucking guy on the beach wearing that exact button-down Tommy Bahama shirt. And the two meatball subs. Give me two. Give me two. Give me two. Well, that was so that was that was one of the scenes that I was thinking about when we're going to talk about like if we're actually going to bring this back to like libertarianism or anarcho capitalism. He go like Utah goes into that fucking sandwich shop. He orders two meatball subs two drinks and like a turkey on rye or some shit. I forget what the third sandwich was. And it was like $7 and 65 cents or some shit. Right. And I was like, all right, it was, what was this movie? When was it done? Like 1991. So yeah, I was like seven years old. Like even that's kind of a stretch, but I don't think, I don't think you could get one sandwich in anywhere in California for $7. Maybe I'm wrong. No, yeah, that sounds like at least three a thirty dollars order. Yeah, three, two drinks. Uh, my God, the 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 inflation that we're seeing right now is just absolutely. And and these are meatball subs too. And it wasn't like he was at Subway; he was at like a little hole in the wall place. Yeah, I apparently it's like right? the fastest restaurant in town. I mean, he was ready in like thirty seconds. Right. <laughs> yeah, they had a very small window to get up there, park the car, and run into the bank. <laughs> But uh, you want to go on an inflation rant? I know that you are want to do those on your show. God damn it. Yeah, dude. I mean, well, inflation drives me crazy for a number of reasons. Um, I'm not even sure where to start, except for the fact that everybody lies about it. The, the, the way we calculate inflation is complete bullshit. Like they talk about the, the rising prices, but... Um, I don't know if, if anybody's actually listened to the I talked about this on the last uh, podcast that I did. Joe Biden said that um, if they just pass the next couple of um, Democratic spending bills that will reduce inflation, reduce inflation, Redu- reduce. And he said it three times. So, you know, that he fucking means it. And he's very serious. But uh, the, the inflation is literally the expansion of the money supply. Like that's, you know, it's like inflating a balloon. Right. So you get all of these dollars out there in circulation and the faster they change hands, that's the, the velocity of money that the, the faster they change hands, the more effect it has on prices. But the, the fact that they are creating this money and putting it out there into the economy, that in and of itself, uh, at least from the Austrian perspective, is inflation and the, the historical definition of it. Um the way our government likes to um, measure that is by prices, but then they take a bunch of stuff out, like everything that you buy. So it's like, oh yeah, inflation X food and energy is like 2%. <laughs> like, okay, well, I, I'm trying to think of what else I fucking spend money on other than food and energy. I guess alcohol. Um, right, yeah. <laughs> I think like, mil- 
Milton Friedman yes. said with, with all the changes they keep doing to the CPI, uh, and he said this like probably 30 years ago, but it's like they're they're measuring inflation without the inflation by taking out food and energy right. and housing well, and all of these yeah, things. And, yeah, and the excuse they use is that it's a too volatile, but that just that's you know, government speak for the the prices are going up. So we want to understate inflation. Uh, and they like to do that for a number of reasons. One is the uh, the GDP deflator that they use. So you basically have to subtract the inflation rate from the uh, the nominal GDP to get the real GDP. So if our GDP is at three percent and inflation's at five percent, you you have negative two GDP. But if inflation's at or if the GDP is at three percent, inflation's at two percent, then you got you, you're at least growing at one percent. So they like to understate it for that. And then also like social security benefits are tied to inflation and, and government uh, paycheck increases, all, all, all kinds of stuff is tied to it. So they have all these incentives to understate the, the, the true rate of inflation and to, to measure it by prices is just absolutely ridiculous. Like what if the price was going to go down and it stayed the same? It, they don't capture that in the CPI and then they don't take it into effect quality. Um, like they'll, they'll substitute things, you know, like, uh, filet mignon. And then they'll it, like, if that gets too expensive, then they'll just put in ground beef and they'll say like the price of beef hasn't changed at all, but you're getting like shittier beef than you would have gotten before. Or the price of like, a, you know, airlines is a great example. Compare flying in like the 1970s where they come around with like the meat carving station and everybody's getting drinks and shit. And it's a huge party. To now, like they just stuff you in there like fucking sardines. You got your mask on, no drinks, no nothing. You're just gonna sit down, shut up, and and get to your destination. And if even if the price stayed the same, it would in terms of the you know the the CPI and inflation, you're getting the exact same experience. And that's just that's not the case. Or uh, furniture, another good one. You know the price of a uh, uh, like a table or a couch or something like that. Yeah, um, you know, like 30 years ago or something before we had Amazon, you'd buy a couch online or you wouldn't be online. You'd go to the store and they would deliver it fully assembled. And like these two huge guys would bring it into your place and put it down in your living room. And now you buy it on Amazon and it comes in like 450 different pieces and you got to spend your entire weekend putting it together. The price didn't change. It still cost you $300 or whatever it was, but you spent three days putting it together and the CPI doesn't capture any of that as well. Yeah, and it's got some Scandinavian name. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I mean, it, the the whole thing is just absolutely ridiculous, and um, it, it just drives me crazy. It's it's the one way that politicians can get away with uh, just destroying your standard of living, and having the enough time pass between them destroying it and you feeling the effects, and, and so they don't they don't get blamed for it. And um, it, it's a tax on 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 the poorest people among us, people on fixed income. It hurts people that that save their money instead of spend it. It's it, it's really horrible. And it doesn't take, you know, any act or anything for them to do it. Like they can just fucking spend the money and uh, the Federal Reserve, which I'm sure we'll get into when we start talking about robbing banks and everything like that. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're, we're at a happy good to we're at a good segue point right now, but but you bring up a really good point in that it hurts the poorest of us uh, the most because we're the ones who are affected by the things that are most impacted by the inflation of the money supply. And that is the price increases and in the things that they don't count, like food and energy. 
And the lower your income, the more of a proportion of your income goes towards those things. Whereas those who are far wealthier, and I, I don't mean to sound like a fucking commie here, but the, the wealthy often have things, their money invested in things that appreciate with the inflation, stock market, housing, collectibles, things like that, things that actually rise with the inflation. So even though like the value in nominal terms, terms goes up, it may not actually have increased in any um, uh, core value of it, if, if you kind of catch my drift. Yeah, no, that, that that's a great point. The the the, the rich people are uh, like they have a disposable income, and then they have everything else that they put in inflation protected assets, and um, it they so they're able to um, sort of protect themselves from the effects of it, and they're also usually the ones that get all of this freshly minted money first. Mm -hmm. which is another thing but because we talked about the expansion of the money supply and then how quickly that money changes hands well the first people to get their money uh, their hands on that money the the prices haven't adjusted to it yet so all these like fat cats on wall street the, these these bankers all these politically connected people they get the the trillions and dollars in bailouts and they get to buy stuff for today's prices and then by the time you get your little $600 bullshit check from the government like six months later, all the prices have adjusted and that doesn't buy a fucking thing. And uh, and then Bernie Sanders gets on there and he's like, oh, these bankers are too rich. We need to tax some more. <laughs> it just drives me fucking crazy, man. They, they, they cause every single problem that they complain about. And then they propose like the exact same solutions that caused the problem in the first place. And the, 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 literally the definition of insanity. And, yeah, it's uh, also the definition of because, government, man. Yeah, and yeah. Just because they have good intentions, they get a pass. It's right. disgusting. Yeah, and that's one of the things when uh, they're robbing the bank in this movie, and I'll throw our masks on, I love that they make those little quips about, we're the ex-presidents, we've been screwing you for years. Another few seconds won't hurt. <laughs> that was a great line. That's one of my favorite lines for sure. Yeah, I, um, I love that, and it's yeah. it's true. I mean, they are they they have been screwing people for years, uh, and it's it's an insidious way. It's not only like with inflation, which is really just a tax on everybody, but as we were just discussing, it's more so on the the lower income folks. But there's also the direct taxation, which, you know, if anyone else were to take a portion of your income, uh, we would call it theft. Indeed. So what do you what do you think about the the ex-presidents in this movie, Daniel? I mean, obviously, they're robbing banks. Traditionally, there's been some public support for bank robbers in sort of the you kind of you know, like that outlaw spirit or you see them kind of robbing from the rich or whatever. Uh uh, in this movie, they they seem to like Bodhi's ideologically driven to not live a nine to five. That seems to be his big motivation, and also to be able to surf and whatever, but kind of live life on his own terms. And if it comes off the backs of those very same people and stealing their money, he's like, well, that's just the way it's got to be. So I I don't know how much of a sympathetic villain he is, but he does have a certain amount of charm. And I did kind of, I don't know if I'd identify with him, but it certainly didn't put him in like the Thanos level evil style. <laughs> There's degrees. There's degrees. Yeah. yeah. He's just a little bit evil. Evil well, light. 
he reminded me a lot of sort of the Occupy Wall Street crowd where mm-hmm. like they, they can sense that there's something wrong with this system and that they would probably be receptive to our message if we could articulate it properly. But they're, they're just going to be like, oh, well, fuck capitalism <laughs> and, and, and call it a day. Um, the, the one thing that, you know, when he was robbing the banks and he's like, oh, the money's insured, it's not worth fighting over. That was another uh, another thing that really bothered me with the the FDIC FDIC uh, bank insurance uh, on all these deposits because that creates like such a moral hazard for all of these banks to, to basically dig the the holes that they got themselves into that caused a, a lot of these banking problems we saw in two thousand eight um, and and it's just like. Nobody cares now what what the bank is doing. Like you, you spend more time if you're going to go buy something from a store like a TV or something, you'll spend more time researching that than you will the bank that you're going to put your life savings into. And it's because in theory, it's insured by the, the Federal Deposit Insurance, whatever corporation. Um, and, you know it really punishes a lot of the people that um, do the, do the right thing with their money. Like even if you had your money in like a safe sound bank um, you're, you're still going to get taxed. You're going to get that inflation tax when the, the FDIC goes to the federal government and they're like, Hey, we don't have money to cover all these deposits. Just run it off the printing press to make everybody whole. Um, the, the, The government has done a tremendous job of just destroying the entire banking industry. I guess I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put it that way. <laughs> All right. I've got a really great uh, Murray Rothbard lecture. It's about an hour and a half, and it's about how banking works and what the checks would have been um, had it been in a free market and how each of the steps and impositions that the government has imposed uh, breaks those natural checks down to actually create more and more destabilization and more hazards. And FDIC insurance is one of them. And I remember back in uh, the 2008 crisis, the FDIC insurance going into that, I think was about a hundred thousand dollars per account. And because of the quote unquote temporary crisis, they upped it to 250,000. 250. Yeah. And that's where it is today. And I mean, like they're going to make everybody whole, (laughs) you know, if you had like 300,000, they're going to make you whole regardless. Like that's just, that's just what they do. And it, it, it really is. Uh, was that from uh, what has government done to our money? Was that the Rothbard book? Uh, this is a lecture, but it goes through a lot oh, of the stuff that he, that he has in that book. It's a very short book as well, which is, a, it's a really good read. So I'll put that on the show notes page as well. Cause it's uh it's well worth the read. Robert, I think you might've actually read that one at some point. I wouldn't put money on it. Not even a federal <laughs> reserve note. I mean, as much as I love the man, I, I, I haven't done read, read, done read a lot of his uh, totally radical stuff. Totally radical, bra. Uh, so, but I, I wanted to respond to your question about um, Bodhi being a sympathetic character who has sort of these philosophical ideas and, and sympathies towards, hey, something's not quite right in the system. He sees people doing the nine to five and driving to work and congested and traffic, driving the metal coffins. Coffin, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's, it's like one of those things where, yeah, you can kind of see, yeah, there is something wrong with the system, man. Uh, but I don't know if robbing banks is necessarily the best way around it, but he does have this sort of um, philosophy around it of he doesn't want to, to get violent, though I think that he is certainly introducing that possibility and it's a very high risk. 
uh, he has this quote where he says, it's basic dog psychology. If you scare them and get them peeing down their leg, they submit. If you project weakness, that promotes violence, and that's how people get hurt. Peace through superior firepower. So he's basically saying that the, the method by which they use, where they just make everybody scared of them, which it seems like a fairly governmental tactic, um, <laughs> is what's actually going to prevent violence from happening. But I would argue they're actually initiating the violence by making those threats to begin with. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's exactly what they're doing. And, I, and that was the, uh, the contradiction in his philosophies that, yeah, I don't like violence, but I'll initiate it as long as I get what I want. It's like, okay, you're not really a consistent character then, sir. Right. It's sort of that Cold War philosophy, you know, like the uh, international, you know, foreign relations, U.S. hegemony around the world kind of thing where as long as we're the biggest, baddest motherfuckers around, no one's going to mess with mm -hmm. us. Um, of course, if you keep messing around with other people, then there's a little thing called blowback, which I think people are all too familiar with these days. Right. You're not going to get the big knock them out world war necessarily, but you'll get death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, that, that is a really great little uh, microcosm of government, though. <laughs> Just like as long as we project strength, nobody will fuck with us. And uh, they, they do a great job of that. And it, it's amazing how many people are willing to comply as well. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of sad. But, you know, as this 18-month uh, to flatten the curve has been going on, <laughs> uh, I've been disillusioned so many times with how much we are way more outnumbered than I'd ever thought possible. Uh, but then I sort of like rationalize and go, well, if you think about it, most of these people have been indoctrinated their whole lives. They've gone into government yeah. schools. They've been watching mainstream media, which is basically an extension of government. Uh, it would be hard for for one to expect people to see through that um, because critical thinking skills have, have been decimated. You know, it's all about feelings now and uh, microaggressions. And every history book is about how great the government is. It's about, you know, wars and, and great men who are all political yeah. figures. So it's... Yeah. It, it's kind of hard. Right? Yeah, that's by design too. <laughs> that that's no accident. <laughs> they, they were going for that. They were trying to create a bunch of mindless drones that just take instruction and consider that an education. Right. That's the Prussian model, right? And uh, yeah. wasn't Dewey uh, instrumental in implementing that and getting? Yeah, he, I think. I think. Um, what was that guy's name? I'm drawing a blank on his name now. I probably had a little too much to drink, but John John Taylor Gatto. Uh, that doesn't sound right. Well, he he's a he's a guy who uh, he died recently, but he was a New York Public School Teacher of the Year, and then he quit and started writing books and giving lectures about how terrible the government school system is. Yeah. I mean, I know we sent a bunch of like feelers over to fucking Prussia and Germany to like figure this stuff out and be like, oh, they, like this is how they brainwashed all these guys to go stand and be like cannon fodder. <laughs> like we could we could take that model and bring it over here and just uh, teach them to not necessarily be cannon fodder, but they can be like mindless drones that we can manipulate for the rest yeah. of their entire lives. Obedient workers like the George Carlin bit. Mm. God, George Carlin was so great. I wish he, he would have lived like another 10 years just to see how fucking bad things got. What did he die in like 2007, 2008 or something like that? Uh, sounds about right. Yeah. Um, 
he was right before like his things got really bad <laughs> with all like the SJW stuff. Oh my god! Yeah, he probably would have had some good material on that crap. Yeah, he was in Bill and Ted, right? He was uh, Rufus. Yeah. What? Oh yeah, god. the Keanu. I gotta Bill and Ted again. That that's been Jesus. What year is it? It's been a long time since I've seen Bill and Ted. You guys watch a lot more movies than me. That's I always feel like a little inadequate trying to analyze movies when I come on here because this <laughs> is what you guys do. And I just watch like the same shit like over and over again. Especially now because of COVID, like nobody's producing any new material. I just keep waiting for the new season of something to come out and just nothing happens. Yeah. Yeah. There's tons of content out there, but a lot of it's old. So yeah, Bill and Ted. Yeah, it is a, basically. It is a bit of a golden age right now as far as like well-produced content, but I think Hollywood movies aren't that great. I think most of it's in the uh, streaming kind of stuff, the streaming wars where they're throwing a bunch of money and getting into in-depth, long-form, episodic, arc stories. Yeah, I, I really do like those like um, limited series or something like that where it's like, you know, um, the, the queen's gambit or, you know, where they get like seven or 10 episodes, something like that. I, I, I don't like a, a two and a half hour movie. I think I get overwhelmed initially. I'm just like, well, I don't have, I have commitment issues <laughs> for anybody. Yeah. And I think we've been spoiled by the long form storytelling, like in a seven seasons, of game of Thrones that exist, you get to know, those characters in and out you get the and you really feel their ups and downs and when they die or whatever and in a two hour movie you just can't compete with that kind of stuff like i mean if if the girl had died in point break i'd have been like mm, oh well i guess she died <laughs> i you know i wouldn't have, i mean it would have been wouldn't have been great but i wouldn't be shedding tears over it you know i mean i just didn't get to know her well enough i guess yeah, it, it, it kind of cuts two ways because like, you know, we do movies because they are self-contained. So it is a thing that we can look at and have seen and uh, be able to discuss rather than some more longer form thing or a multi-season thing. I mean, there's a whole podcast dedicated to just Game of Thrones or just Jurassic Park or just, you know, you name it. Sure. There's a lot of content, especially if it's an ongoing thing or if it's additional merchandise or a different offshooting type stuff is being made for it, like video games or music or whatever, you name it. Merchandising. Lots capitalism. of content to talk about. <laughs> the evils of capitalism. Mm. Oh, I've got, uh, I've got Bodhi's quote and then maybe we can uh, move into another direction because we are actually almost an hour long already. Uh, here's his quote. This was never about money for us. It was all about us against the system, the system that kills the human spirit. We stand for something to those dead souls inching along the freeways in their metal coffins. We show them that the human spirit is still alive. Now this quote and in, in watching this movie, it kind of resonated with me because these guys were living in what we, the three of us now look back on as like the times when things were actually free. Like you could literally pretty much go and do anything. And, 91. Yeah. Yeah, man. I would, <laughs> Well, it, it looks, I go back to 91 <laughs> yeah it, it's so amazing you know just thinking about how different things are now and robert i think we've talked about this on previous episodes where like and this is before the uh covet times but it's like would you go back in time like five ten years where you didn't have 
you know, this information readily accessible to you on a smartphone or a device, you know, were the internet pre-internet days, would you be willing to go back or to pre-air conditioning days or the pre-airline uh, travel days? And we were like, no, man, you know, you'd think about this, those guys who uh, in the, you know, the robber barons in the 1800s or whatever, who were the, some of the richest people on the planet and they still had gas lamps in their house. Yeah. And their kids still died from polio or whatever, you know, it's, 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 it's a different time for sure. Um, this seems like a step back though, the last 18 months. Well, the last eight, but, but still that's a lot of that is an attack on your mind. Like you can still do most of the things. Like I can't just walk into Canada. I mean, at a you border crossing, you Canada's could, but you can't just like do it like you could in the old days. Like there are ways around. Like yes, governments are big. Yes, they are powerful. But as they are big, they are also slow. And they, when they are try to be all encompassing, they have cracks. And we are small and quick, and we can take advantage of those cracks and that slowness. And there's also a state of mind where, you know, yeah, there are X number of regulations. And if, yeah, I was going to pay to all, attention to all that crap, yeah, it would probably paralyze me. Or you could just go out and live your life and it'll be fine. I, I, I tend to go towards the, the latter approach. I mean, yeah, you're, it's probably a good idea to be aware of some of the things, but also be realistic in the state's ability to police those things. And in the willingness of the culture to in, in, in enforce those dictates, right? Like that's, it, it takes human beings to enforce all this shit. And if, you know, they're not going to have the will to do that, then what use is the, the law on the books? It's just there to paralyze people and to, you know, create, have little people that, you know, follow along and are also going to be the little hall monitors that are trying to keep people in line without the state actually having to do it because they are like the, the, the tiny dot tells us like they are super outnumbered and they don't have nearly the resources, even though they're building this technocracy of this control grid, right? They still don't have the, the manpower to watch everybody all the time and control everybody all the time. They need their little hall monitor, Karen force to keep everybody under control. And if you just ignore those Karens and just go about your life, like there's that one picture of that guy on the train who's like, the Karen comes up to him and is like, you're not even wearing your mask. And I'm going to put this on Instagram and you're going to be famous. And he's like, yeah, do what you want. I don't care. <laughs> it's just like a King man. And the post is like, Oh, he doesn't care. <laughs> and she's like, he doesn't even care. Yeah. Don't even care. Yeah. I'm living my life. I suggest you do the same. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was definitely my my biggest takeaway from this whole uh, COVID nineteen thing was just yeah, like I I don't want I I feel like inching along the freeway in your metal coffin is what they're trying to get us to do. Like mm -hmm. sit in your fucking couch, order delivery food, don't go don't go outside, don't exercise, don't see people that you love, don't have any fun. Because, you know, you might get a fever for a few days or something. Um, uh, yeah, it, it profoundly changed my uh, my outlook on things. I, I think we have like this entire thing backwards, like the, the whole formula that they, the government has basically come up with for the way that we go through life, where like you go to government school, 
until you're 18 or whatever. And then you go to college and then you get your uh, math. Now you need a master's degree because they've, you know, uh, inflated away the, the value of a college degree. And you're in school till you're like 28. And then you get your first job. You move out of your parents' uh, place. You got off of their insurance and you work until you're 65. And then you go on social security. Like that thing is completely fucking backwards. Um, and I, I see all these people here because uh, everybody that did that, um, that, you know, they got in on the Ponzi scheme early, uh, the, especially the Social Security Ponzi scheme early. And so, like, they're living pretty high on the hog. They did great through, you know, the, the 80s and the 90s. They, they crushed it. And now they're retired, but they're too old to fucking do anything. And they, they come down here to Mexico and they walk across the pool from like three o'clock to, you know, four thirty or something. And then they have dinner at six forty five and they're in bed by nine. And and I'm sitting here, I'm on my computer like that entire time, clicking the mouse and doing all this stupid shit. I could easily do computer stuff when I'm their age sitting on my fucking ass. I can't go spear fishing, cliff diving, parasailing, you know, going out like till all hours of the night or something when I'm 75, 65 years old. I, I think we got it all backwards. Yeah. I remember talking to my grandfather. He, he died about 10 years ago, but uh, it was back like he had been retired for maybe 10 years and it was like, okay, so you're retired now. You've got all this time. You've got all this money saved up and you want to go do these things, but you physically can't. You're too old. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he wanted to go to Europe. His, his family is from Germany and he wanted to go check it out, but he was like too old to be able to get around and do it. And I'm like, you know, here I am on the other end of that spectrum where I'm, I'm, I'm young enough to be able to go do that stuff, but I'm a broke you have no money. Well, you have no money because you, they took it all from you to give it to him. Like that, that's why, like, I, I mean, I've done uh, podcast episodes on how much I fucking hate social security, but like, it literally is like the most like racist, sexist, ageist oh Ponzi scheme on the face of the earth. Like you're taking money from broke 20 year olds and giving it to people in their fucking sixties who have had like an entire lifetime to amass a fortune who probably have a net worth like upwards of a couple million. And, and this like idiot who's like still smoking weed and like, you know, take it, you know, whatever, going to frat parties. He's got no fucking money. He's working. If you're like me at like a paint store or something, and you're making like 12 bucks an hour and I'm paying in to like, a, for, so this guy gets his like third fucking vacation home. Fuck out of here, man. This, this, this whole thing is ridiculous. <laughs> no doubt. Now, Dan, can you, can you give me that Bodie quote one more time about the tin cars and the tin coffins and the soul crushing or whatever? All right, here it is one more time. This was never about money for us. It was about us against the system. That system that kills the human spirit. We stand for something. To those dead souls inching along the freeways in their metal coffins, we show them that the human spirit is still alive. Yeah, I, does that, I mean, it kind of, it reminds me a bit of Marx's criticism of capitalism, where he's talking about how it separates people and it crushes like the human spirit. I don't know, I don't know if that's the right words, the right wording that Marx uses. It kind of smacks me a little bit like that. Now, for a guy like Bodhi, it totally makes perfect sense. The guy loves to be outside. 
He loves to be, you know, an adrenaline junkie. You're definitely not going to get that adrenaline pushing a pencil in an office. Probably. I mean, maybe if you're gambling on wall street, like some of these high roller, you know, super adrenaline junkie, like uh, stock brokers do. But uh, I don't know. Did you guys get a, get a sense of that? Cause it seemed like, he could have done anything. I mean, he could have robbed other things, but I guess, you know, yeah. banks are yeah, where the money to, is. You but... don't have to rob to, to stick it to the man. But yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's it's that thing where like capitalism gets blamed for a lot of the failures of socialism. You know, you, you have like to pretend that the banking system that we have right now, like free, uh, it, like a fractional reserve banking system with the FDIC insurance and all that stuff is free market capitalism. And when shit goes wrong, um, all, all the politicians can be like, oh, well, like they were just greedy. And then everybody can just be like, oh, yeah, like capitalism failed. Uh, that that to me is sort of the essence of, of what Bodhi was getting at there. And, and it's very um, it, it's very frustrating to sort of have to deal with because you do start to sound like one of these like, oh, that wasn't real socialism. <laughs> but like we can actually point to like definitions of things and um, and, and back up our arguments there. Did that make any sense? I don't know. No, it did. I, I thought Robert was going to chime in there. Well, we are getting close to an hour, and I know that we have more to talk about on this one, but uh, perhaps we get into some Kathleen Turner Overdrive where we do some bonus content for our paid subscribers and go to lastnighters.com slash Patreon to get in on that. You can see the live streams, get the pre-show and post-show bonus content. We call it post-show Kathleen Turner Overdrive. And, uh, you know, even if we do move to another um, another support model, I think I might just keep the link and call it lastnighters.com slash Patreon, and they just have it go to the new place. If, if, uh, yes, yeah, so that way it'll be backwards compatible. I like it. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask backwards compatible. So I, I do have one topic to bring up before we get into final summary and review, and we can talk about how many uh, hangs of ten we give to this thing. Um, there were some reviews I was looking at where they were saying that there are some homoerotic undertones in this film due to the relationship that is developed and admiration between the Swayze and Keanu Reeves character and. Um, I didn't really notice them until I read about them later. And it's like, okay, I kind of see what they're saying. And uh, they, they use an example of <laughs> the speech that uh, Bodie says to Keanu Reeves, where he says, um, I know it's hard for you, Johnny. I know you want me so bad. It's like acid in your mouth. <laughs> but not this time. But like all this double uh, entendre, you know, and, uh, and I wonder if those are intentionally there or just coincidentally there. And if, if you, I'll go to Robert first, if you notice these things and uh, uh, what's your take on thank it? You, thank you for going to the gayest guy on the panel. First. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, this is important. I am the expert on the gays. It's true. Um, so I did not catch any homoerotic vibes from the film. Uh, I will say that as much as they worked on developing the relationship between Bodhi and Johnny, I still felt like this guy barely knows these people. Why is he hesitating on busting them? Other than th the only thing that I went along the film with in that sense was that he was really starting to enjoy 
Bodhi's outlook on life and the, the philosophy of surfing and that kind of thing. Like he was taking to that aspect of it. I think he, I think he enjoyed surfing more than he necessarily enjoyed hanging out with Bodhi and those guys. Yeah. It's still, it's, he's such a fish out of water for him to be this jock Iowa farm boy guy to go over to the West coast and to hang out with these surfer bros. I, maybe some people really can go over there and blend in. And you're like, Oh, I'm with my people now. Oh, these, this is, this is my jam. I've found my people finally. But in this film, it felt more like he was still a fish out of water. Like he was the awkward guy standing in the corner at the party and everybody else is having a great time. And he's like, man, I feel so out of place here. So, you know, it, it felt like he wasn't really raging with the boys he was like, well, I'm going to go after this chick because I, I can kind of identify with her. I bought that love story more than I bought the Bodie Johnny thing. Uh, and even then, I still didn't really buy the love story entirely. So uh, as far as the homoeroticism goes, I didn't really see it. It's it's definitely a bro movie. And there's a lot of like, you know, people say like football's gay, whatever. I don't know. There's <laughs> tackling. There is like groping involved, I suppose. But uh, it, no more than any kind of average, like brothers horsing around wrestling is gay too. So what are you going to do? Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, who gives a shit? Sure. Uh, yeah. They totally banged uh, in the middle of the movie when they, they cut out that scene where uh, Keanu and Bodhi are banging like crazy. All right. All right. Uh, Johnny, we'll get your uh, take on the back end of that. I definitely didn't pick up on any uh, sort of gay stuff. I, um, yeah, no, I didn't catch any of that. I, I thought it was just like, yeah, like, like super bro and awesome. And I loved every second of it. But yeah, no, I wasn't like, dude, yeah, I don't, that's like some like serious hardcore gay dog whistling stuff. If the acid in your mouth is like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I only brought it up because I read it in some other reviews. I didn't really see much of it uh, myself either, but thought it might be an interesting discussion point. But anyway, we should get into uh, final summary and reviews here. So, uh, Johnny, you kind of already started off with uh, your love for this movie. So why don't you close it out with your uh, overall take and how many uh, hangs out of 10 do you give this? Wow. Um. Well, I had never actually watched this movie with, you know, the idea of, of sort of looking at it from an anarcho-capitalist perspective. But thinking back on it, there's a lot um, there. And it's mostly like monetary policy stuff. But I won't let that factor into how I judge the movie. I, I fucking loved it, man. I, I love almost everything about this. Uh, I love the dialogue. I love the action sequences. Um, you know, when, when the FBI is, is raiding that house and then like Keanu's face is like right up against the lawnmower. I love the surfing scenes. The only thing I don't like is like the, the dykish, uh, you know, brunette, uh, female lead. I think that's the only place where they went kind of wrong with this. Um, the girls in the, in the house that when they were raiding, uh, during the FBI raid, <laughs> like there are like tits flying everywhere and like that one chick was stabbing the guy in the back like that that those were 90s girls there you know like they, they had like the nice uh high thongs on that one chick was like completely naked so that was awesome 
I like the everything about it. You know, the other thing is that when they were when they were parachuting, they're they're skydiving and they're like having conversations. Um, it's a little hard to believe. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that actually do, works. <laughs> I don't think so. I haven't done it yet. You know, we have I have pair uh, skydivers. They land right out in front of my place here every day. I'm just like horrified. I, I'm way too afraid of heights to actually do that. But um, I, I, I forget what what was Bobby's lead. Oh, when they were cutting the when they were cutting everybody's hair on the beach. Um, that was a pretty bad scene. I think Keanu's worst scene was um, when they're invest when they uh, go to check out the the uh, the car the getaway car in the beginning, and <laughs> he starts yelling at Gary Busey for like no reason about like nom and whatever. Um, I, I thought I'm that still was alive. Good. You're still alive. Let's do yeah. this. Let's go bust these guys. Come on. <laughs> these guys. Are you dead yet? Yeah. Uh, I thought that was his worst moment, but. I still, I, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, it's like, it's so bad that it's good. I loved everything about like from the wardrobe to the dialogue, to the action scenes. And I, I, I don't know, man, especially like being out here on the beach, you know, surfing is a source. It'll change your life. Um, and I'm still searching for the ultimate ride. You gotta be willing to pay the ultimate price. It's not tragic yeah, to die we, doing what you love. That is literally my Tinder profile. <laughs> if you want the ultimate, you got to be willing to pay the ultimate price. Um, so, yeah, like, what did I give? Uh, I forgot what I gave Desperado, like a seven and a half or something. Yeah, it sounds about right. I'm going to give this like a nine and a half. And only because that, like, uh, lesbian looking brunette, Lori, whatever the hell her name is, ruined everything. Women ruin another movie. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Robert, what's your take and what's your score? Well, like I said, if the uh, the A team in Hollywood was making Lethal Weapon, the B team was making Point Break. Now, that doesn't mean Point Break is a bad movie. It just means that it's just not quite up to blockbuster quality stuff it's like a, a step down but it's still Jake, an enjoyable ride direct this or am i imagining that kate something or other i don't know some lady i thought this was a james cameron film i, I think no, this movie it, and it was his wife at the time Catherine bigelow and she she did um uh, she did a bunch of uh movies recently where she, she won an uh, academy award okay right on there. well good for her Yes, I don't, I don't, I don't care about Academy Awards, but good for her. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I, if I was a surfer, maybe this movie would have a little more nostalgic vibes for it, but I'm not. But I do enjoy any kind of movie that injects like a philosophy and has the villain be somewhat sympathetic. I, I've said that multiple times on the show for different films. But the, the villain can't just be some evil, dumb villain. Like, I'm just evil because I'm angry, evil guy. You have to be able to have some kind of relatable quality where the audience can identify with him on some level, but then he just takes it a step further than the audience would take it. And then that's where he crosses the moral line. And uh, in that sense, Bodhi is almost a, almost a perfect villain. He's fantastic. And I wish the rest of the movie lived up to that character mm -hmm. and that performance by Swayze. I, 
if the rest of it was up to his level, this movie would be like a nine, nine and a half. But it's other like like Johnny's saying, he loves it because it's so bad it's good because of yeah, Reeves is just atrocious. Uh, his lines are almost comically bad where you can enjoy them for how bad they are, but I don't think you can actually get invested as an audience member because you're like along for this ride in the sense that you're following along with the story and the adventure of these characters and you just get lost in the story and the plot and whatever. I think his, 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 his acting is so bad that it removes you from the viewing experience and it just and now you're just watching a movie. You're not living this experience. You're just watching a movie of this guy badly performing this character. And so for that, it takes it definitely loses some points for me. Uh, the 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 slowness of the the middle where I I struggled to pay attention honestly. Like when it was a surfing scene, I could like tune it out and watch something else and let it go in the background. Because I, I figured out what was going on. You know, I didn't have to pay attention really badly. So, you know, it, it's not Wait. a perfect movie, but it is. How, how many it definitely times ends strongly. How was that? How many times have you watched this movie? Oh, uh, this would probably, I mean, I've probably seen this like, this is the, the third time I've probably seen it in the, oh, okay. since, okay. since in the 30 years since it came out. Yeah. All right. No, okay. that, uh, those are all fair uh, criticisms. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't think anybody thinks this is going to confuse this for Shakespeare, but it is a good time. And especially towards the end when the plots really kick in and all the action scenes are really going. Uh, I didn't really understand why all of a sudden Bodhi wanted to change his plan and then kill everybody, you know, go for the vault other than to go for that one big score and, you know, get a whole bunch of money to travel with, but they'd never done that in the past in the previous years. So there were, the movie didn't explain why he all of a sudden changed his mind, especially with to his uh, other gang members. Like they weren't prepared for that. I mean, they yeah. rolled with it and did it, What's but it was like, why are we going to the vault? We're never going to the vault. Right. They were like, what are you doing? I mean, we'll do it, but what w- all of a sudden, like, what the fuck? So it, that it didn't make any sense for the Bodhi character to all of a sudden do that. And it didn't make sense in the, in the plot for him to do that. Like, he didn't have some reason that he needed a whole bunch more money. And, you know, none of that made sense. So that could have been explained better, but, uh, I still had a good time with it. Um, so I'm going to go, I'm going to hang, I'm going to hang seven out of 10 on this one. I still, I still recommend you, you enjoy it. It's, it's fun, but don't take it too seriously. And you, you watched the right one, right? You didn't watch the sequel. <laughs> yes, I did. The one with Keanu freaking Reeves. You know what's funny is um, I was uh, th- this was like I don't know a while back or whatever, and I was I was going out with this like surfer girl, and anytime somebody tells me that they surf, I'm immediately just like, "Hey, have you seen Point Break?" <laughs> hey, what does ten hang ten mean anyway? What does that refer have, to? Dude, I have no idea. Okay. No is idea. Is it like ten ten fingers and toes and stuff? Like, but, but, I don't know. Like, like, how would that work? Catching a tube, <laughs> a gnarly tube, bro. These are great questions for the internet. What does hang 10 actually mean? <laughs> totally what rad, bro. Actually, you refer to tubular, bro. Um, but yeah, so I was like, Have you seen Point Break? And she's like, No, and I was like, Oh, well, you gotta watch. And she watched the fucking sequel. She started talking about like some snowboarding scene or something, and I was just like, I think you watched the wrong point break because i completely forgot that they redid this and like just destroyed it and so then then i like sat her down here and i was like you got to watch the real one 
but I, I was like super concerned that she was gonna like the remake more than the original. So I was like kind of sitting on pins and needles that entire time to go back to uh, what, what you guys were talking about when you actually like two hours mm-hmm. ago when you introduced the show about how they they would remake the Mona Lisa if they could in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah, they would. Yeah. They were talking about remaking Princess Bride. I was like, really? How do you do that? It, it, Peter Falk was in that, right? He's fucking dead. Yeah. And so is Andre the Giant. I mean, all half those actors are aged out or dead or I don't know. You just you, sometimes you, you catch lightning in a bottle and you just you you love it and you hang on to that and you'll always have it and then it's great and you don't need to fuck with it. Yeah, I mean, some things are perfect. I mean, granted, this movie wasn't perfect, but remaking it and like doing a sequel or whatever the hell they tried to do, it, it, it's not going to be the right approach. So have an original thought. And uh, stop like piggybacking on the uh, on everybody else. Yeah, or um, or take something that was a great idea just that didn't work out due to you know technological constraints at the time or you know, for whatever reason it just didn't work. Yeah, that too. Yeah, they weren't suffering from like you know um, the CGI deficiencies. Like they, maybe they want to redo like Terminator Two. <laughs> <laughs> and like with today's fucking uh capabilities of of making like a liquid metal guy or something like that i don't know but there there was nothing that benefited from like today's technology making the oh right if you're gonna have the same scenes if you're doing a shot for shot remake there yeah there's no reason to redo it i don't know what the sequel or the remake did but they must have changed some no. shit i yeah well they they went snowboarding i heard about that but I'm, I, yeah, I'm not gonna watch that shit, man. I don't think I can enjoy it. Uh, the whole time, I'd just be thinking about how much I enjoyed the the 9.5 rated movie, original Point Break, regardless of what uh, the radical extreme dude in the upper right corner thinks. Yeah, well, <laughs> fuck that guy, Daniel. What do you got for me, buddy? What, what, what bring some sense into this uh, madness? Well, I gotta say, I really enjoyed this film. Uh, yes. I, I know it's preposterous. But I really liked the the funny dialogue, you know, like I was uh, out here doing this while you were jerking off to the Sears catalog, shit like that, <laughs> you know, the McGinley stuff, the Papa's stuff is all great. I love Bodie's character. Uh, the action scenes are really great. Like they turned that chase scene, that foot chase scene into this frenetic, kinetic, like crazy, almost car chase style thing but it's just them running you know and it's just the 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 narrow quarters they shot it in and blasting through houses and running through swimming pools and dogs getting thrown I, it was awesome uh i i just think it was high paced 100 pure adrenaline uh during those scenes like the action scenes are really good and to the point where you were talking about where Bodhi does this thing where it's so, totally uncharacteristic of him um i think it's because he had realized that johnny utah was an fbi agent and rather than get away he confronts him he goes to his house he gets him he's like hey man we're going skydiving or whatever and keanu he like knows that they know he's like well who packed my shoot yeah, you know super like, awkward moment by the way <laughs> yeah, like are you guys gonna kill me you know like make me jump out of this plane with with a bad shoot it wasn't awkward enough that he was already banging like his ex-girlfriend now like he's an fbi agent <laughs> uh, he's an fbi agent uh, but, but I mean, I, I, I bought that and, but I felt like, uh, maybe what Bodie was doing there, like he had 
done like 20 or 30 of these bank robbing jobs where they've only taken the cash out of the till. They're in and out in 90 seconds. They're projecting strength to avoid conflict and all these things. But now he's in this sort of spiral where he's been chased by the FBI agent who turns out it was his buddy who's banging his ex-girlfriend. And he's getting the FBI agent to be an accomplice to this because he has the girl being held by this psycho guy, Rosie, who's going to kill her if he doesn't meet him at a certain time. And so he's like amping up this adrenaline. And I think that perhaps he's in this spiral of like, he just wants to get higher and higher and higher levels of this. And so that's why he makes that decision in the bank. Let's go for the fucking vault. That's deep, man. I didn't even think about it. I mean, that's a potential theory. I like it. I, I don't know if I agree with it, but I appreciate where your mind's at. Can we can we call Pat? Oh no, he, he died of uh, pancreatic cancer. Okay. Yeah, very sad. That, by the way, in terms of the, the whole uh, cancer, like because I know we're coming up on the football season here, and they're gonna start doing like the the cancer stuff in like October with the pink ribbons and all this shit. I I really think that we got breast cancer under control. Um, it, it's at like 95% survival rate or something like pancreatic cancer fucking crushes people. Like one of my best friends in the world, like his dad died to that. Uh, Patrick Swayze died from it. Like, I think it's time to move on to some more significant cancers where like when you get them, you are completely fucked. Yeah. But then you're going to fight the feminists who well, they, feel they oppressed at all their, times. They can still have their thing, but like we we have to like <laughs> I, I I think we have like I don't know how much like closer we can get to success when it comes to breast cancer I don't I don't want to like take away breast cancer awareness month or anything like that but I would like to funnel some money toward these things that are actually killing people at like a much much higher rate and pancreatic cancer is one of them. Um. And then anything with like, I don't know, like the colon or bowels and stuff that just sounds like a miserable way to die. Yeah, we had uh, one of our Patreon, one of our Patreon supporters. um, He died, I think, of colon cancer a couple of years ago. And uh, it was not not an easy thing to. Yeah, I I can't like we take you take all this stuff that happens like you know, in your midsection for granted, like there's a lot of shit that can go wrong there. And, um, man, I don't know. I, I, I just feel like it's time for the, the whole, uh, corporate press and, and everybody to like, be like, okay, I think we got this one and we're going to move on to the next, like, like let's get everything up to 95% survival rate or 99.7. Yeah. Whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's COVID, if, right? if everything has a success rate the, the survival rate of covid then then we'll be happy i like it <laughs> then we can just like everything's just a pandemic yeah <laughs> Perfect. all right well i don't know if i gave my score so i'm gonna go with an eight on this one i'm hanging eight toes off the end of the board mike c let us know it's uh, it's about how many toes you're hanging off the board all and right. uh throwing up some comments from some of the people who have been watching so thank you guys for watching and Mike says, freedom as addiction, a counterpoint to the addiction of the slavery normies have as though the only way to truly be free is to be addicted to the rush. It's a tragedian take. 
Mike Mike uses a lot of big words. I don't know what tragedy and (laughs) tragedy in it. He's a smart motherfucker. He is a smart motherfucker. He probably knows what he's talking about. Yeah, Yeah, we're we're gonna go with that. That that sounds like a real word. Sounds sounds like a real thing. So anyway, this has been uh, a lot of fun, Johnny. I hope you can stick around for a little bit more of the bonus content uh, after this. And people can find your work at peddlingfiction.com. Oh, and Mike's peddlingfictionpodcast.com. But yeah, just like peddling fiction is the name of the podcast, and it's on everything. Uh, you know, wherever the fuck you guys listen to your podcast, I don't know. That's right. Yeah, I, I use a, an app called Listen Notes, uh, and that lets me create a, a list that I can go through, and it'll show the next one that's available. And it doesn't like automatically download it to my device. I know that uh, Apple Podcast does it, and I hate that because then it just fills up my. Dude, I had device. I had like a huge problem with Apple. Po- Apple just like dropped my podcast for like three months or something. Um, and this was a, a few months ago, like right after I started like a huge ad campaign for the podcast, they were just perfect. <laughs> just like I, I like somebody texted me like, yeah, yeah, I can't find your podcast like on Apple. And I, I was trying to figure out what the hell happened. And so like I emailed them at first. I thought it was because I swear a lot. And I don't necessarily always mark my episodes explicit. They like I Googled this and they're like, yeah, if you if you're explicit and you don't mark it, you could get into some oh. trouble. But it, it turned out to just be like a problem on Apple's end. And I was like, oh, that's nice. Um, just throwing all that ad money into a hole. Right. Because like, oh, you know, only like, uh, you know, 60, 70 percent of my listeners are on Apple. <laughs> no big deal. I'm over it. Well, now uh, that you I'll are back it. on there. Um, I do recommend that people do check out your show. It's really good stuff. I love how you spit fire. And uh, you also do a, a good job of explaining things like the mechanics behind things uh, from an economic standpoint, which we, we have done occasionally in the past on the show, though. I don't think it, we've done anything like that recently. Um, we're, <laughs> we're just two yeah. old curmudgeons these days. <laughs> well, I, I'm also very curmudgeonly, but I'm also just an idiot. So it's very easy for me to explain. I, I think this is like my strength, right? Like, because it's so hard for me to understand things to begin with that. Why do my fucking glasses look so weird? And then, okay. Um, because I'm such a dumbass, it's easy for me to explain it to other people who probably have like a much higher IQ than me because it, it took me so long to figure out how to learn these things. Um, I, I think that's sort of where I excel and that's why I want to keep the podcast on like, um, sort of like an introductory level. I, I want it to be approachable and palatable to the average person. I don't want to overwhelm them with uh, all sorts of like libertarian jargon or like give them, you know, like a, a 500 page book to read on economics or something like that. I, I want to give them the, you know, the, uh, the, was it like, was it pink monkey or no, that, that, that's the name of the show. <laughs> what was the monkey notes? The clip, the, the cliff notes when we were in high school. Oh um, yeah. It wasn't monkey, yeah, cliff right? notes. The cliff notes. Yeah. Cliff notes version. There was like a monkey version anyway. Was there? Yeah, there's also a strip club in Chicago. It was Pink Monkey. I don't know if it's still there. <laughs> I got some wires. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Listen to my podcast. I'm not as dumb as I look. All right. Well, I would I would agree with that. And uh, check it out, peddlingfictionpodcast.com and wherever podcasts are sold. You can find the show notes more for this at lastnarrows.com slash 188. And we'll have links 
to that, as well as uh, some of the things we mentioned tonight. And uh, Robert, next week, we're going to continue this uh, little mini theme we've got going on of a good movie that was remade, rebooted in a terrible fashion. And that is next week's take is Total Recall. We're doing the Arnold Schwarzenegger version. Uh, and from what I understand, Colin Farrell version, uh, most people do not like it. I, I don't think I'm going to bother watching it. But the Paul Verhoeven one uh, is top notch. And so that's what we're going to be doing next week with Dr. Dennis Foster making his return to the show. Nice. Always fun to do an Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Uh, I was a big Arnie fan in the in the late 80s, early 90s. That, and that was like his prime time. Uh, so that'll be fun to go back to that. I, I do have fond memories of Total Recall. And I have I, I think I saw the the Colin Farrell one, but it was entirely forgettable. So I don't even remember what happened in it. So mm. but I remember the Arnie Schwarzenegger one. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think it'll be uh, well worth the rewatch. And uh, Foster is great to talk to, so that'll be a really good episode we're checking out. Absolutely. That is going to be a lot of fun. Anything Arnold Schwarzenegger related is going to be awesome, especially when he is. When he yeah, and I want to say it was like his smartest script because there's, there's some question as to, you know, whether like he's just all dreaming the whole thing or is like they're implanted memories or not. It's It's a fun flick. Yeah, I'm gonna see if I can find. I, I need to watch that again because that that's one of those movies where I've only watched it like literally once, maybe twice, and now I was much much younger. When when did Total Recall come out? Like eighty nine, ninety, something like that. Yeah. Like when he was just churning out movies every like six months or something. Yeah, he was pumping them out. He is at the height. He was really cashing in on his at the height of his star power. Yeah, yeah, I don't blame him. Kindergarten Cop still my all-time favorite, but have you guys done that movie yet? <laughs> no, no I, don't, I don't think so. Write that one down. All right, we're, we're going to mark it down for you, John. It's not a Tuma. <laughs> Girls have a penis, boys have a vagina. We Whoa! Yeah, look, you want to get taken down off of fucking YouTube. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's not oh, PC. yeah, speaking of that, um, I just did just start an Odyssey channel, so uh, we're going to put uh, the link to that on the show notes page as well, because that might be where our video content uh, is the only place it's going to be available pretty soon, especially if we have guests spouting off these hate speeches like that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool, man. So uh, anyway, we'll see you guys all next week for Total Recall with uh, Dennis Foster talking about the Arnold Schwarzenegger version, and we'll see you guys all then. Uh, and we'll say good night from last night, everyone. Peace out.